We had no idea that what we were doing, in essence, was capturing those life forms. We locked them in a containment field and began to experiment on them. If my people were taken like that, I know what my response would be. Welcome to another episode of Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Haight. And this week we're joined by a special guest. Uh, I'm Haley Stoddart. And Haley, uh, you are a very special guest on this because you are a big Star Trek fan, but you have very little experience with Voyager. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, none at all. <laughs> so was this the very first episode of Voyager you've ever seen? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. This is excellent. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> well, see, this is actually really good because it gives us... A completely different, I guess, with a completely different perspective than we would have. So this is great. Sure, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> no, it, it's fine. Uh, on our other podcast, Stargate Weekly, we've actually uh, we have yet to have a guest who's familiar with Stargate. So yeah, I can see that 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 one kind of flew under the radar. I think for a lot of people. Yeah, so it's totally cool uh, that uh, you are a Voyager newbie, and maybe, you know, after talk after seeing an episode and talking about it with us, you'll get so excited that you're going to, you know, start watching Voyager right away. Uh, maybe. <laughs> and if you're not, that's okay, too. I mean, it's all there on Netflix, so just anytime you're ready, there it is. This is yeah, true. Yeah, it is there. This is true. Okay. So normally we ask our guests how they first got into Voyager, but obviously in this case that we'll pass on that. But how about how did you first get into Star Trek in general? Um my dad watched it I think for a little bit, watched TNG. And uh I kept watching, he kind of stopped watching. So that was that was my introduction. I was Five when it started, so obviously oh, nice. I didn't catch it at first, but uh, later on when I was older, I, I remember in rewatches, I know I've seen every single episode, even if I don't remember all the details. So that was that was my introduction. I will get to Voyager, I promise. It's there. I, I did DS9. Uh, we're doing TOS right now, so I will get there. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta finish, I think, TOS first. It's an interesting order that you're going in here. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was, TOS was, was not my choice, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can totally, I can get that. TOS has, definitely has its moments, but 50 years removed, there's definitely some, it, it doesn't quite, there are definitely elements of it that do not quite resonate the right way anymore in the 21st century yeah yeah there's that but i grew up with like the campiness of watching um like adam west batman so i don't mind the 60s ish stuff that goes on but there's definitely elements that just don't work yeah, yeah. thankfully voyager is a little better at that uh and we are going with, so for your first episode, we did not go with one that is, you know, universally reviled or anything like that. That would have been interesting. This one is actually one of the better reviewed episodes of season one. So, and I guess uh, that's where we'll start with. Uh, what did you think of this episode? Did you like it? Yeah, it was kind of enjoyable. It was uh, 
for an introduction, never watching Voyager, not knowing, like, knowing the characters. Obviously, I know who the main characters are, obviously. But, sure. yeah, it was it was pretty fun. Cool. Stuart, what do you think of it? This week we watched Season 1, Episode 12, Heroes and Demons. Oh, yeah, I guess we didn't say that yet, did we? The synopsis... It falls to the Doctor to rescue crew members trapped on the holodeck by an alien that has taken the form of the folktale monster Grendel. Okay. I enjoyed the episode a lot. Uh, it's always nice to get a Doctor-heavy episode. Uh, there was no Neelix in this episode, which uh, I'm, I'm fine with. This is 100% Neelix-free. And like 99% Kim-free. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this, uh, Memory Alpha says, uh, when several crew members disappear inside Harry Kim's Beowulf holodeck program, the holographic doctor is the only one who can rescue them. Do they really need to say holographic doctor at this point in the show? No, I don't think so. And even from my perspective, I, I know he's not an actual person and I've never watched the show. So, yeah, re- redundant. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, both of those synopses are better than some of the ones we've seen. The real question is, if you go through Memory Alpha and jump ahead to just pick a random episode that's maybe Doctor Heavy in, like, Season 5 or 6, is it still going to say The Holographic Doctor? Uh, you know what? I'm going to check. Because now I need to know. So I'm going to see if Tinker Tanner Doctor Spy calls him The Holographic Doctor. I think the only problem I had with it was, really, do we need another malfunctioning holodeck again? Like, really? Have they not (laughs) fixed that by now? I know, right? Has there ever been a functioning holodeck? That's, yeah, that's kind of my point. Like, at one point when they say the manual overrides don't work, I'm like, I'm pretty sure in the history of the holodeck, they have never worked. (laughs) No. Just like I'm... I don't even know if when they say that they, because they always talk about how the safeties aren't working. I don't think there are really safeties. I think these are just things that they tell themselves to feel safer about the holodeck. There aren't actually any safety protocols. They don't exist. (laughs) Yeah. So no, Memory Alpha does not call him the holographic doctor for the synopsis for Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy, which is a season six episode, the one with the photonic cannon. Yes. I love the photonic cannon. Computer, activate the photonic cannon. Thinking about the holodeck, <laughs> you know, jumping, ju- jumping later in the episode when uh, Freya gives that open invitation to the doctor to mm-hmm. to visit her in her bed. Mm-hmm. Okay, a fluids. Uh, what's the deal like with that? Like after the fact. Well, in this case, they would both be holographic. Sure. Yeah, but you know, B. You know, there's the panel just right outside the hollow suite that tells you what's running inside of it. Although, and I get that the you know the filming you know the technical filming limitations of the time, which is why it's not a dynamic display that we can see, because Tubox just there, just like you know, just like thwacking at it. He's like, no, 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 this is having no effect. No kidding. I mean, uh, but so anybody walking by can see what hollow novel or hollow program is running are there hollow bodice ripper hollow novels oh there have or, to be like do they go past that into more like yes overt? yes they do yeah <laughs> uh deep space nine definitely like quark is always talking about the various yeah yeah 
I, uh, Vulcan Love Slave is one that comes up a lot. Oh, that, yeah. Okay, I do remember that vaguely now. Yeah, that's just odd. So, no, come on. Of course the, the holodeck is used for that. Well, of course it is. But... I mean, it's always implied. Right. Like it's, it's always implied. And so it's it's one of those things where, like, you know, like in TNG, when Riker, you know he's got the woman in his bed. Like, you know they don't show it, but you know, like... So you know that that stuff's going on, even if they don't show it. I mean, it's just implied. Yeah, there's a humorous blog out there. I think it's called it's called Holodeck Repairman or something to that effect, and it's done as the log of somebody on the Enterprise D. What? The, oh no, it's the life and times of a holodeck janitor. <laughs> and it's about how they have to clean up well fluids and such. <laughs> and such. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so, honestly, I think your the answer to your fluids question uh, is in this episode where they talk about how the holodeck is all is constantly converting matter to energy and vice versa. They're just taking those fluids and converting them to energy. Weird. I mean, I hope that's it, and there isn't actually someone going in with a mop. <laughs> yeah, but you have to wonder, like, who's vacuuming? The hallways of Voyager. Starfleet Roombas? I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I doubt there's some random guy in yellow going up and down the halls with a Dyson or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then again, there could be. They had to find something for some of the Maquis to do. Oh. They're full members of the crew, but with special emblems, and everyone knows that they're not. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of the Maquis... I was rather impressed in this one that Chakotay, of all people, gets a burn-in on Tuvok. Such fables are necessary only in cultures which unduly emphasize emotional behavior. I would point out there are no demons in Vulcan literature. That might account for its popularity. Because, you know, Tuvok's always the one that has the, you know, mm. is always throwing shade on everyone. So I was, I was just impressed that Chakotay actually had a <laughs> zinger on Tuvok. Because it's usually the other way around. Hmm. Nice. And Chakotay, in general, is usually rather mild. Uh, yeah, I uh, I was talking with some folks uh, the other night, so at this uh, Star Trek group meetup thing, um, mm -hmm. and they were talking about there was apparently guidance from, I guess, the studio. Yep. That, like, Chakotay... Uh, Janeway and Kim in particular were not supposed to be too big of characters. Yeah, they wanted to emphasize the alien characters, and so the human characters had to dial down their emotions. Right, and so those three in particular apparently got notes all the time about dialing it back, and I guess Chakotay was the only one who was successful? Or, uh, not, well, uh, the actor, uh, uh... Robert Beltran. Yes. yes. Apparently, he was the only one who was, like, really successful at it, since we got a block of wood shaped by Robert Beltran. Yeah, and every once in a while, he has a good moment, which shows that he, he is a good actor. It's just, Chakotay is horrendously underutilized in this show. I mean, and it wasn't bad in this episode, so uh, I can understand how Haley might be confused by us saying that. <laughs> but... <laughs> Throughout the show, Robert Beltran is not, uh, he doesn't get a lot to do. And in fact, he has said uh, in many interviews and at conventions that he's rather bitter about that. 
Yeah. I might have heard him mention something about it if I... Yeah, I think it came up at STLV last year. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he did, but you know, it's Vegas, and by day five, you've just blurred everything all Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so here's a question for you, Haley. Uh-huh. Could you have given that detailed a synopsis or uh, of uh, of Beowulf like Chakotay just dropped on us? An ancient English epic set in 6th century Denmark, if I remember correctly. It's about a hero named Beowulf who fights a creature that's terrorizing a kingdom and murdering its subjects. Monsters and swordplay, that sort of thing. Um, no, I don't, I don't know my, my myth stuff that well. I certainly couldn't have said that it was 6th century. I would have said medieval, uh, well, not medieval, older than medieval, but, like, I certainly would have said, uh, uh, you know, old Europe. And I knew it was Denmark, but no, I couldn't have said 6th century. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would have been like, well, there was Beowulf and Grendel, who yeah. was a monster, and something about slaying it, and the king. I could have done a little more than that, uh... But then there's also, like, my knowledge of Beowulf, the epic poem, which I have never read, and really, you uh, you can't read unless you know ancient Old English, like, ancient English, um, uh. <laughs> um, uh, is really from the, like, five or six different movie and TV adaptations of Beowulf that I've seen throughout my life. Yeah, I that would be mine at... I don't know if I've ever read it. Yeah. Old English is hard. Mm. Modern English is hard. I had to read some of that in my uh, lit class, so that was not easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, my understanding is that, I mean, even... Because Chaucer's Middle English, right? Yeah, and Chaucer mm-hmm. is hard to get through. Uh, yeah, uh, right, and that's also apparently pretty uh, incomprehensible. No, I've looked at Beowulf before. Uh, it is... It might as well, it is technically written in English, but it is not written in anything that you can actually, like, know what any of these words are. (laughs) Unless you know Old English. Because it's basically, it's so far removed from the English that we speak 1400 years later, that it might as well be another language. Sounds about right. Gibberish. Yeah, because at least with (laughs) Chaucer, uh, by the time Chaucer came along, the... The Norman Conquest had already happened, so English already had, you know, the French influence. At this time, it was just a Germanic language. Hmm. This has been our interlude in Linguistics Weekly. (laughs) (laughs) So, talking about the episode, Mm -hmm. uh, we open up with Janeway giving us a little bit of a voiceover, and then it slips right into she and Balana just completely nerding out about grabbing some space dust. I love Janeway and Balana nerding out. It's the best. Right? Uh, I especially like later in the episode uh, when she and Balana nerding out again and Paris and the doctor just stand there like, there they go again. <laughs> yeah. It's allowed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we all do that. So I actually have a question about when they transfer the doctor to the hol- to the holodeck. Why did they beam, like, a physical tricorder? Why didn't they just give him a holographic tricorder? And secondly, how did the tricorder survive the energy 
being attack when the uh the, that ate the doctor's arm mm. because that was mm. the arm that was holding the tricorder. Yeah, and it wasn't there. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the monster attack, but the tricorder thing I did you know, had also crossed my mind, and I have to think that because they had lost their controls in the in that hollow in that um hollow suite hollow room hollow chamber what's the right word holodeck mm. oh, thank you uh since they had lost their controls on the on the holodeck that they couldn't punch the buttons to be like and poof you have a holographic tricorder now so they would but they could beam into it mm. um and they were able to transfer the program in there but maybe not manifest things that would make sense as to why it didn't get destroyed when grendel attacked i can't answer that question could it be because it's not even though it's physical and it is composed of matter it's not composed of the same matter as like tuvok and chakotay and harry kim where you know they're genetic matter but it's but a tricorder is not the same that could be why, maybe. I mean, that you could be... Not biological in matter. That would make sense if when it had taken Tuvok, Chakoti, and Kim, it had not taken their clothes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can do without a shirtless Tuvok. Yeah, but Star Trek likes to twist <laughs> things, though. So maybe it did take them without their clothes, and then when they just reappeared, it somehow gave them clothes. I you know, know, we do have a shirtless Tuvok in a later episode. <laughs> oh, when he's going crazy? Uh, he has a, yeah, he, uh, he has a dream, and he, in his dream, he appears naked on the bridge. Oh, okay. Well, everybody has those kinds of dreams. That's why they're scary. Yeah, I, I want to say that's the one where the, the, uh, aliens that were in a, like, out of phase and cloaked were running secret medical experiments on all the different crew. Can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I don't know. I remember that vaguely, but... Anyway... I know they make Chakotay old and uh, Neelix grow even more spots and give Janeway lots of headaches. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, that's we'll we'll talk about that, you know, a couple years down the line when we get to whatever season that's in. <laughs> so yeah, that was the that was like my my big thing was like that the tricorder just it seemed weird that they gave him a physical tricorder to begin with, uh, because the holodeck can create anything holographic, and. But yeah. Anyway, uh, obviously the, the the answer to why the tricorder wasn't destroyed is it was necessary for the plot. I want to know why the tricorders weren't just streaming the data back to the ship's computer in real time at all times. Ah, that brings up another point I wanted to say. Why does the doctor have to read Beowulf? Like physically read the words? Yeah. Hmm. And he's only got you know uh, the captain said he's only got three hours to do it. it seems. Like, it's not enough time for him to learn all of the lore. You'd think. But but that could be something similar to, like, uh, you know, you would think Data would know everything and wouldn't have to, you know, be connected to any of the ship's displays or anything to learn anything, right? So maybe that kind of same thing, even though you would assume that he should not have to actually physically read them, they do it because they're trying to prove that he's quote-unquote human and real 
and so he's not part of the programming so that you would have to read them just like anybody else would have to read it. That's where my mind goes with that one. Hmm. It does give them it does give them the setup for Kess to talk to him about him being nervous. So I suppose again it was because it was convenient to the plot, but it just seems like something that wouldn't necess- wouldn't actually need to be done. Like I feel like the doctor could be like, "Oh, I better read that." Okay, I've read it. Yeah, and like the data download could take some time. Like that could mm-hmm. be it also felt where the computer was compiling and didn't just like have it done immediately since it has the bio neural circuitry. Yeah. Like, you know, the download into the doctor's program with the updated data, like that could take some time maybe since he's active. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. And completely unrelated, but I want to mention it before I forget it. This is cause we have, I believe we've mentioned this before, but this is the first time that we get a, well, I guess I should say this is the second Janeway hairstyle. This episode is the first time we do not see the bun. Yeah, I like this hair better than the last hair. This hair only lasted two episodes because it was apparently very hard to keep neat. That makes sense. Yeah, it it did look rather elaborate. Catherine Mulgrew has a lot of hair. I can see that, though, because it's uh, sort of like a French twist, but like a different version of that and I've done my hair that way and it definitely does not stay as easily. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's sort of it's sort of a trope. Oh, I mean, I'm saying yeah because I assume I I've never had hair like that. <laughs> um, but uh but it's sort of a it's sort of become a trope that Janeway has so many different hairstyles throughout the show and that's why I was pointing it out because this is the we do actually make it we do actually make it eleven episodes of the the same hairstyle in the show before they actually decide to start experimenting. Hmm. Well, Trek kind of has a history of the female characters' hair changing often. That's true, and they even will sometimes put a red wig on top of a redhead because it looks <sighs> weird. <laughs> Yeah. Was your hair not red enough? So, on TNG, Gates McFadden is wearing a red wig, but she also had red hair yeah. at the time. But apparently it was... Hmm. They they thought that her existing hair wasn't, like... Uh, yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. A lame excuse. Yes, just... very much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, like, the le- that's the least... L- the least of the hair crimes on TNG because there are so many hair crimes on TNG. But, yeah. Yeah, you could probably do a podcast, like, at least an episode of hair crimes in TNG. Worf's freaking Prince Valiant hair for the middle of the show is just, yeah. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. That was, yeah. 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 Mm -mm. I definitely appreciate the evolution of both Worf and Jordy's hair. Jordy's definitely. Hair changes? Jordy had a lot of hair. If like if not in the early episodes but like maybe in the pilot or something. Oh, uh, I guess if you're counting the movies, yeah, his hair changes. Well, no, I I thought that I I had seen a picture like maybe it was like in like from the pilot or like the promos like just before the show launched and it never actually hit anyone's television, but he had a lot of hair going on at one point. Very much a he had he had hair that was very much a product of his time. Like I feel like he he basically just had the the 
sort of flat top the whole show. No, there's one that I saw that he just had. He had more hair, and he also had, like, some facial hair going on that was ill-advised. Oh, he did try... Uh, okay, well, he definitely... That, uh, if it was long long hair with facial hair, that was definitely never part of the show. He did experiment with a goatee, I think, in, like, two episodes in the middle of TNG. And yes, it was mm-hmm. ill-advised. Well, because you can't trump Riker's beard. I mean, really. True. Riker had the beard, and no one else could have the beard. And beardless Riker is just sort of freaky looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, God, and that weird shaving sh- uh, shaving scene from Insurrection. I I don't mind beardless Insurrection Riker as much as I mind, like, baby-faced, baby. super skinny season one <laughs> beardless Riker. Because it looks like a completely different person. You you you, yeah. you like a Riker with a little meat on his bones, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the Riker I'm used to because Riker definitely puts on a few throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Riker you know, the Riker you love. Well, and that could be because you know the uh, the uniforms. You know, in the first couple of seasons, they had those one piece ones, the spandex. Yeah, yeah, and they were not forgiving at all, and. You know, so once they went to the two-piece, it was a little more forgiving on everybody. There's, you know, room for expansion. Okay, so we are talking, we we are a Voyager (laughs) show, so we should probably talk about Voyager. (laughs) So let's talk about uh, how silly Unferth's name is. Unferth is actually from Beowulf. I don't Mm -hmm. care. He has a silly name. Uh, I'll give you that, yeah. Also, he's being all like, I've never heard any songs about you. He's like, yeah, where are your songs, Unferth? Yeah, Unferth is, uh, if the Beowulf movie, which is admittedly, I'm thinking that, uh, the... The one with Angelina Jolie? Yes. Which is admittedly takes a lot of liberties, but if that movie is any way to go on, Unferth is just kind of a dick. I mean, he seemed like it. He killed Freya. That's not cool. He, Freya should, there's another caveat I have. Based on where that knife went, Freya shouldn't have died. It was, like, in her shoulder. It's not like she had a 24th century doctor standing over her. (laughs) Who who could have cured her or fixed that problem lickety-split. Like, I'm sure in the 6th century that was very likely to have ended up being a fatal wound because infection. But that wasn't something that, like, should kill you within a few minutes. Well, yes, but, you know, that which it does not kill, it makes strong. (laughs) That's true. So those mushrooms are real, by the way. As in that that Mm. mushroom with that Latin name is a thing that exists, not necessarily what we saw on the screen. Correct. We're real in his hands. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Also, so when the doctor loses his arm to Grendel, that is a deliberate uh, reference to Beowulf in which Beowulf chops off Grendel's arm. Huh. Hmm. Nice. I wish I could take credit for that, but Memory Alpha told me that. Like, credit for knowing it. Obviously, I wasn't involved in the production of Voyager. Right. That would have been a very precocious... Uh, what year was this? 95? Yeah, I would have been a very precocious nine-year-old. So I'm not sure how I feel about the old, how, about the whole, uh, like, oh, gosh, this sword is heavy thing. It, it's a common trope. Oh, those um, are also not... Time period accurate accurate swords, by the way. All right, memory alpha, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't seem to make much sense. That 
he couldn't pick up the sword. Like, really? I want to say that a sword of that size... I, I came across this factoid once, because uh, someone else was complaining about that trope that you see, about this particular trope, that, like, a like a, a recreation sword of that size that's, like, not, like, a dummy prop or anything, but, like, a proper thing weighs something like, I don't know, like, eight pounds. And, I mean, you know, I guess eight pounds dropping into your hand all at once is maybe just, like, how it's distributed. I don't know. I would have to, like, actually be handed a sword and, like... But I know, but I I now know that it weighs eight or ten pounds, and so I would probably be like halfway bracing myself. Maybe everyone just expects that it weighs a pound. Or I mean, I hand you a big like I hand you a big steel stick. How do you not like prepare yourself for the weight? But it is very much a trope that happens in movies and TV shows all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Haley, did you ever see the movie Three Amigos? Yes, but it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> So this trope comes up in Three Amigos. Although they don't use swords, they use, like, six shooters, because it's set in, like, the 1920s or 30s or something. Uh, and at one point, Martin Short's character is handed uh, a pistol that he's never handled before, and he immediately just, like, drops it. Like, or just, like, it pulls him straight to the ground. Because apparently this pistol weighs 20 pounds or something. <laughs> I think it's in, like, the 1910s. Uh yeah, still silent films. Yeah. You might be right. It might be close to the... Well, because the... Okay, Three Amigos has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is a crime. I was going off of the off of the mail plane. It was a bi-wing. Um, oh, good point. And cloth style. 1916, according to Wikipedia. Okay, so yeah, so I was off by 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, they would have. They would have. Yeah, they would have been using biplanes at that point. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely. But it definitely. But it was. They would not have had them in 1910. Right. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, World War One sort of expedited the aeroplane research. Yes. Yeah. Man, those wacky planes from World War One. It's like okay, okay. So two wings is good. Three wings is better. Let's try eight wings. I like, uh, uh, I, I particularly like how many planes, like, shot themselves down before they realized that they need to find a way to make the guns shoot through the propellers. Yeah, and a, fin- and a fiendishly clever solution they came up with, too. Mm-hmm. Interrupter. Yeah. So this episode, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, I have a question. Is this considered an episode of, just because I've heard it, again, I haven't watched, is this considered one where you would say that Harry Kim dies? You could say that, yeah. And if he does die, then Chakotay's really taking his death in stride. It's like, oh, you've come to avenge Beowulf's death. Yes, we have. Well, like, yeah, no, Chakotay <laughs> and Tuvok straight up say that he's dead. Like, when, they, yeah. when they're talking to Janeway over the comm. According to the hollow characters... He attempted to battle a creature of some kind and was killed in the process. Killed? Janeway is shaken up about it, but no, Chakotay and Tuvok are like, eh, whatever, you expect that from Tuvok, but... <laughs> yeah, so I guess Kim died, Tuvok and Chakotay probably then also died. This will not be the last time that Kim dies. Well, and that's why I asked if this was considered one of the ones where he dies, because I, I have heard... Yeah, Kim dies quite a few numerous times. times that he dies. So Do we need to have the Harry Kim death count? I think we might need to. <laughs> On our other show, Stargate Weekly, 
we have the Daniel Jackson death count, mm-hmm. which is at three and a half. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. As of the beginning of yeah, as of you know the beginning of season two is a three and a half. So yeah, Harry. So far, we're at one. We're not going to count like sick and might die, but is healed because no, that. No, of course not. Because that would have been the pilot. But uh, yeah, so Harry, I think we're at one. It's hard to say for sure since we're jumping around in our recording dates, and there's a chunk of season one that we have not actually done yet. Yeah, he could have died seven times or something already, for all we know. Because <laughs> we're doing all of our guests at once, because we were going to be using a program that we're not using now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Riveting <laughs> stuff, I know. <laughs> this is what this is what the listeners tune in for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so Haley, what jumped out to you during the episode? Like, what really kind of stuck in your craw? I think the one thing, so, is one thing that bothered me... They beamed the photonic energy onto the ship, then mm-hmm. left it, and then the holodecks having this issue, why didn't they beam it off? Like, as soon as they realized that something was going wrong with the holodeck, right after you, like, right after you beam this energy on. You'd think they would have put two and two together. Yeah. Or, and and to go with that, the whole... Uh, suddenly totally saw it coming from a mile away that this photonic energy is a life form. No. Really? Who would have thought? It's like they've never seen an episode of Star Trek before. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of what bothered me. Just like, really? It was weird to me that it took until the doctor chimed in to be like, well, I guess we should release the other life form then. But they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're right. We do have another one still locked up, don't we? Captain, if you're right about this, then we should return the remaining life form. A gesture to show we mean well. It's certainly worth a try. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. after Janeway's whole, like, impassioned thing about how, like, oh, my goodness, we've accidentally captured like a sentient intelligent life and what you know gosh what would i do if one of my folks had accidentally captured i'd stop at nothing and like we have another one. Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i think that was probably the only thing that i was just like really like i saw it coming from a mile away and then i was just like really 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 wow haven't we covered this before i think we've covered this before thinking about well, they just beamed in this thing, and then the hollow deck started malfunctioning. It reminded me of uh, this, uh, like a uh, like fan theory about uh, Starfleet as a whole, like not the Federation, but Starfleet specifically, like the humans in the Federation, where just every one of their ships is effectively a prototype. Like even the ones that have been flying around for twenty years are like constantly being tinkered with by their chief engineers and so are still active prototypes uh hmm. the, the, you know there were almost never any holodeck shenanigans on ds9 because that wasn't human holodeck technology i mean there were the like there were a couple episodes about it there were some holodeck yeah some but wasn't it usually because a human had tinkered with it or like was trying to like bypass protocols or something well the holodecks were wired all sorts of messed up because the because DS9 mm-hmm. was falling apart. and Well, it was sabotage when the Cardassians left. Yeah. And Nog was the one who was... No. Rom was the one that Rom. was... Rom. 
Rom was always the one working on it. So and they were using, and he was using a spatula, I believe, was as a conductor yeah. <laughs> in one episode, I believe. But yeah, you're right. The one I could actually only think of one holodeck malfunction episode on on DS9, and it was because yeah, there there were extenuating circumstances. Uh, yeah, so maybe just every like every Starfleet ship is just in a perpetual state of well, I pushed this button and the shuttle bay door opened. I don't know why. It didn't like it didn't do this last week and it's not going to do this next week, but for this week this button controls the shuttle bay doors. Also, it makes the replicator on deck 7 just spew out strawberry ice cream. No one really knows why. <laughs> so, like the like, of course they wouldn't put two and two together. Stuff is constantly going haywire. So, yeah. like I like that theory. I'm cutting out everything you said after I like that theory. <laughs> As editor, I have ultimate control. (laughs) (laughs) This is just uh, very much other than the obvious issues. I just feel like it is a a pretty decent episode. It's a very good Robert Picardo episode. And the Doctor, I mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, Robert Picardo actually says it's one of his favorite episodes. I can see why. It was... It was fun, like, uh, it's coming in from someone who hasn't watched a single episode of Voyager before. Mm-hmm. It, it was fun, it was enjoyable. And granted, I was running on by the time I watched it last night. Mm, I think I'd been up for, like, 16 hours, so that could be part of it. <laughs> but it was enjoyable, I enjoyed it. Well, that's good. I'm glad we didn't make you do something terrible to appear in this podcast, that you actually did enjoy it. I take with the good with the bad, you know? You I, you gotta watch it all, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, no, I would... Certainly the first time you you go through. And us on this uh, podcast, we are going to watch every episode, including the infamous, infamous infamously bad ones. Well, because, you know, like they say, someone's favorite is someone's least favorite. And one you like, someone else might not like. And one someone else likes, you might not like. But to discuss it in its entirety, and to discuss the characters in its entirety, I think you've got to watch it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Are we not going to talk about Schweitzer? Okay, oh, I think Schweitzer. we should talk about Schweitzer. <laughs> it's a very Germanic name. Right? So... So, the it's named for a uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner. Okay. And uh, I want to say Albert or Alfred Schweitzer. That's what's jumping into my head right now, but... And the author of the script just thought it was funny to have Vikings chanting Schweitzer, and he thought it would get it, it would get nixed, and it didn't. It is a little funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also a little funny was when the person comes up to pour... Uh, yes! some mead for the king and Schweitzer and it's like yeah, would you care for some mead oh no thank you get that mead out of his face <laughs> I yeah. also enjoyed uh, the doctor telling his story about how he vanquished the virus oh yeah yeah I, I wish that it had been told with more dramatic flair I yes so that it was yeah. more like vanquishing the virus and the, all of that instead of this sort of like excited tone while munching down on elk and he get and he's getting like increasingly more like chatty and loose as he's telling the story which i enjoy the acting of but uh 
but instead it's basically just like this like really straightforward retelling of it like he would do to anybody ever what i was hoping for was that like the holodeck would be like uh, the, the holodeck you know would adapt to what the person says and would like the characters would like even if they don't have any idea what he's talking about like the holodeck program would have them react as if he was telling something great and that they would, you know, like, truly... I was hoping, like, that King Rothgar would be like, that is a truly an epic saga or something like that. I actually liked their uh, looks of, like, oh my god, this is awful. <laughs> this was what passes for a great warrior where this guy comes from. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> Fair enough. It was, it was amusing. Speaking of the great warriors thing, Chakotay and Tuvok come into the Great Hall... And and then within 15 minutes of meeting them, the king's like, all right, you guys seem sturdy. You can stand watch tonight while the rest of us all go to sleep. I just met you 15 minutes ago, but I've got a good feeling about you. Yeah. And I get that's how it's programmed, but it still feels weird. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially where they changed it up and suddenly the doctor was, you know, not like they didn't it didn't run the same thing the next time. And you were expecting it to and then it didn't. You're like, well, wait. I'm right, confused. yeah, because the first time around, uh, when Unferth, silly name, decided to challenge Tuvok and Chakotay, Freya like immediately kind of stepped into the fray, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the you know, the king's like, oh, no, 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 you can put that away. You don't have to worry about that." But yeah, no, you're right. With uh, with the doctor, it was it was quite the opposite. Freya never stepped in. Uh, instead, the doctor zaps the guy with his like when the sword passes through him what's that yeah i wasn't sure how i didn't you like i knew that he could make himself so that nothing would but it was weird that he can also apparently like conduct electricity or something yeah yeah that was yeah well then he said you had to put some ice on it so i thought maybe like because he had done it so fast that his sword hit the ground and then he like hurt his wrist hmm but that's possible. Hmm. Maybe. Know. I'll take that one. Yeah, I like okay. that. No, thanks. The only, the only thing that I think was missing from this episode was ending with the Doctor having either a sword or that little containment lantern sitting on one of the shelves in his office inside sickbay. That would have been cool. As, mm-hmm. like, as a memento of his first away mission. Man, could you imagine, though, if he had like accepted the name Schweitzer and he was just Dr. Schweitzer for the rest of the show? Oh, that's weird to think about. Yeah. No, no, I can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, he's the doctor. Yeah, that's a little weird. Or just doctor, really. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I think we've covered most everything that I had to note on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't really have anything else either. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Delta Flyer, and thank you to our guest, Haley, for joining us on it. It was a lot of fun. Well, thank you for having me. Are you on Twitter? I am. Uh, you can find me. I'm on Twitter, surprisingly, uh, at Trekkie01D. And you can find uh, me on Twitter at Gamicus. And you can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. The show is Delta Flyer Pod on Twitter. It's also DeltaFlyerPod at gmail.com if you'd like to send us any uh, suggestions or comments or just, you know, like cool recipes or something. Yeah, tell us how to make that mushroom stuff that makes us stronger if we don't die. Right, if it doesn't kill us. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, you can also visit our website, DeltaFlyerPod.com. You can also leave us a rating on iTunes or Google Play. We would love that. 
And if you give I us forgot a, to ask for ratings. And if you give us a five star rating, we will mention it on the show. We're not like if you give us a if you give us a one star rating, we'll probably mention that on the show too, just because see what that jerk Tommy did? Exactly. A one star review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, if you like listening to us ramble on about stuff and also sometimes about a show that we watched, uh, but mostly just ramble on about stuff, uh, you can listen to our other show, Stargate Weekly, which is very similar to this show, except we're watching Stargate instead of Star Trek. Yeah, imagine that with that name. <laughs> I know, right? Who would have thought? And be sure to join us next week for Cathexis. <laughs> and that's our show. Yes.